0: (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It's lunchtime now. Are we good? Is that good? You know, I was kind of sitting here. When I have any idle time, my mind goes a little weird. And so as you guys were talking and loving, I was like, such a love fest. I was like, I could do the teacher thing to do. Like, we've got to get started. You know, the longer you talk, the longer we're going to be here. But I'm not going to interrupt you, man, because I love this. I love that we're a church that's willing to embrace each other. And uh, instead of taking the 30-second greeting and saying, Hi, welcome to the creek. Hi, good to see you. You guys are hugging each other, loving each other. I think I I heard some phone numbers been exchanged and everything. You know, know, babysitting arrangements been set up. Uh, (laughs) I'm going on 10 years in ministry. And before that, uh, I had a life in the corporate world. I remember uh, moving from a a job that uh, I was in a call center and uh, had began a progression up a corporate ladder, and I remember getting hired at the headquarters uh, and promoted to the headquarters of this corporation. and I'm telling you, Heather and I both worked for the company. She had gotten promoted to headquarters a little bit before I did. I got promoted. We're loving it because of carpooling abilities. but we thought we were just on the rise. And uh, I was, uh, had a responsibility that was nationwide and had people that I supported and we had had them in and I'd never had a business trip. And I want to tell you real quick about my first business trip that I ever took. I uh, am on my way home and this was before cell phones, so I had a pager. Um, <laughs> yeah, that tells you how long ago that's been. <laughs> uh, so my pager starts going off and, and uh, it's not my boss and it's not my boss's boss it's the next level up, and so I figured I must uh, call back immediately, so I find the closest gas station, and uh, for you younger pups, we had uh, quarters that you would put in a thing called a payphone, phone, <laughs> and uh, you know, there was no speed dial, no touch screen, you know. Um, the newer ones had 12 buttons, um, one through zero with a star and a pl- uh, pound sign, which you're probably familiar with. so I call. And uh, she says, uh, yeah, I got you. A, this, okay, this is 4.30 in the afternoon. I get off of one fourteen in rush hour traffic. She said, you've got a 6 o'clock flight. And I said, there's no way I can make a 6 o'clock flight. I'm moving. I'm going from Irving back to Keller, and I've got to get home before I, and get stuff before I can go get on an airplane. So she puts me on hold and uh, comes back on uh, about a minute and a half later. She said, all right, my assistant has you a 10.07 flight. I said, okay, where am I going? She said, "Tucson, Arizona. Okay, how long am I going for?" Silence. Uh, how long am I going for? She said, "Pack for two weeks. Plan for indefinitely." And so, um, those of you who are in the military, this is nothing new for you. You know, you get an envelope and you're, you're, a truck pulls up and you're gone. But I, uh, this is a, this is all new to me. And so I get home and and uh, Heather gets home. I said, "Honey, I'm." Got to go on a trip, and she had taken a few business trips. Um, that was part of the corporate life, and uh, so she's like, "Okay, so so when are you leaving?" You know, because normally you have some advance notice. Uh, I said, "I'm leaving tonight at 10.07, Oh, great! She said, "When are you going to be back?" And I said, "I don't have any idea." And so I had to tell my wife, and, and my my kids were young at the time, and so I remember going out to dinner, and it's a weird feeling of not knowing when I was going to get to come home. And uh, it ended up being about a six-and-a-half-month project that I got to come home about every two to three, sometimes four weeks for a day and a half. Um, and for me, I never knew when the end was coming. Um, it was just this major project and problem, and so we had to manage so many things. But I remember being able looking at Heather and going, I don't know when I'm coming back. And I think God is that way too. I mean, we we all try to predict when God is coming back in the end of time, and we're going to be in Matthew twenty four. We're going to talk about the end of days today. But God is, is is more wise, and in His wisdom, does not give us the information on when He's coming back. I mean, I, I remember one trip, and th- this will show you some immaturity, but it was not a smart decision. In hindsight, uh, I didn't tell Heather I was coming home, and. I thought I'll come home and surprise her. And so I'm at home uh, and I hear the garage door go up and I go, okay, what am I going to do? And here's where a guy is not good quick thinking on his feet. What do I do to surprise Okay, I'm going to hide under the bed. (laughs) Abby's crawling. Um, I'm hiding under the bed and she comes in and she puts Abby down on the floor, and Abby's going, Dad, da 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 And I'm thinking, oh, I want to hug my girl, but I want to surprise Heather. And so, you know, Heather's like, no, Dad, das not here. And I remember she went in the bathroom and shut the door, left Abby in the bedroom. And so I just get out and stand in front of the door like this. And she opens the door. <laughs> Wham! Shuts the door. Well in a split second realizes, my child is on the other side of that door. So, a sacrifice of motherhood. She's opened the door in fight mode, man. And then she looks and goes, oh my God, she scared me, you know, and hugs me. And so, so, you know, that may be a little bit what it's like when Jesus comes back. Uh, um, so, I guess the wisdom there, get your kids on this side of the door, okay? But... um. We're going we're gonna to look at this, and, and, and God does not tell us because He is wise on when He is coming back. Think about it. If God gave us the exact day that He was coming back, how would we behave? I mean, we're adults, but yes, we deal, I, I still deal with a lot of immaturity. Um, spiritually, we deal with a lot of immaturity. So if God said, I'm coming back on this date... Um, we would live however we wanted to and just make sure that by the time he gets back, we got everything in order. It's kind of like mom and dad coming home from work, you know, in the summertime. You know, you're at home in the summer and the kids, you, those of you who grew up and understand this, uh, you push it to the last minute till you hear the garage drop or you hear the car coming up the driveway. Um, man, it just, you push it up to that last minute before you start cleaning up your mess. And so that's just the way we operate, and God understands that. And we're going to look at Matthew 24, and and let's set some context. I want to lay a foundation before we get into this. This is going to be a very uh, head knowledge message today. You may leave here with your brain hurting, but that's okay. Um, I want us to engage God and engage our our faith with not just our heart. I think if we just engage our heart, uh, we miss out on a lot of intellectual elements of our faith. I think if we just engage with our head, we miss out on on a lot of the the, the heart matters of faith. God created us this way and desires us and designed us to connect with his word, to connect with a relationship with him, with our head and our heart. Today is going to be heavy on the head, but I want to lay some foundations here. We're going to go in and we're going to study some very uh, deep mysteries of Scripture. Um, This is not an exhaustive teaching on end times. Uh, if, If you want, you can email me and we can get some material going back and forth. We're going to speak context. When you study Scripture, you have to understand context. We don't read our view into Scripture. We don't go into Scripture and say, here's what I would like God to say to me, and we pull it out. Uh, there's a a technical theological word for that called eisegesis. Eisegesis is saying, here's what I want scripture to tell me, so I'm going to search until I find what scripture is telling me. We study scripture called exegesis. It's exegetical. We ask this question, what does the text mean to the original audience? How do we understand what's going on And then once we understand that, we understand that the Word of God is timeless. It is living and breathing. It's active. It's God's Word for us today. He originally spoke it to the audience. So, how do we apply that? How does our life change based on this truth that we experience from Scripture? So, that's the foundation. And so we're going to go into this. Your your notes, there's a lot of blank space on there. I didn't want to give you a lot of fill-ins because I want you to be able to take some notes. I may say something that sparks a question and and so we can start exploring that down the road. So we're going to get into this. And and, uh, let me set the context here. Matthew 24 takes place after Matthew. uh, We'll go back to 21. Uh, Remember uh, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. Jesus coming into the temple. Jesus is clearing the temple. And then afterwards, in, in 22, he's asked, uh, there's an inter- exchange of questions about his Messiahship. He asks questions about who do people think the Messiah is. And there's, there's a lot of uh, foundational issues that are cleared up. And this is really kind of ramping into Jesus' final days in ministry. And in Matthew 23, he just goes off on hypocrisy. When he rode into the temple, um, he sees how defiled the temple had become. He sees what, what we have the ability through our immaturity to do with the things of God. And so he does not take lightly to that. And so you, you, we're really looking at Matthew 24 through this lens. Jesus is coming off of a, a rant on hypocrisy. And hypocrisy destroyed the temple. We, we went through and, and talked about the damage that hypocrisy causes in the gospel and in the kingdom, in our homes, in our church, in our society. And the, the, the hypocrisy that was existent throughout the history of the people of God is what destroyed the temple. Now, there is no temple today. If you go there and look where the, the temple is, it's, it's gone. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to understand just a few things here. Um, let's start, uh, let's just get into it in Matthew 24. I'm going to read a little. I'm going to read some, and then we're just going to, uh, talk about it, discuss it. Uh, verse one, Jesus left the temple. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the end of the rows for you. Um, we want to make sure you have that available for you. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. The temple was a beautiful thing. Um, it was built, uh, It had been destroyed several times, but uh, Herod the Great, when Rome came to power in about uh, 186 B.C., um, Herod the Great, who was a great politician in order to garner favor with the Jewish people and get some peace going in the land, uh, rebuilt the temple. And he rebuilt it very elaborately. Um, And so they're calling... This is after Jesus just goes off on the hypocrisy of the temple and of the people And they're pointing, Jesus, (laughs) hey, these are nice buildings, aren't they? It's kind of like that segue, like, Jesus, I know, he's kind of angry. Let's just, these are nice buildings, right? Um, And Jesus says this, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? end of the end of the age. What Jesus is saying is this temple is going to be destroyed. Yes, you're seeing something beautiful, but, but it is going to be destroyed. Nothing, no stone will remain on top of each other. And we have to understand that even though the physical building of the temple was destroyed, you and I are the temples. Through a relationship with Jesus, you and I now are the temples. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells the Corinthians, he said, do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what you have here is God breaking out. God saying, I'm no longer going to dwell where stone and brick and mortar will, will be. I'm dwelling in the hearts and lives of every believer. Now, the temple was torn down, but think about how many billions of temples there are in history now. I mean, how many temples are represented in this room today? This place becomes sacred. This is a daycare. It becomes sacred when, when we inhabit it. You know we could we've we've had a service in the parking lot in a tent that tent becomes sacred because the temples inhabit the tent the tent doesn't become sacred and then we go there and so we've got to understand this this shift and this is where jesus is really starting to push in and then he says all this is going to be destroyed and the disciples come to him and ask him three questions and they ask him you know when will this happen What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? I mean, they are just like us. They're curious. Okay, if it's coming and we've we've known the prophecies, we want to get engaged with this. And so let me me give you just a a, a brief rundown of history here. Um, In about 950 BC, um, Solomon built the temple. Um, his father, David, paid for it. David was a man after God's own heart, but God would not allow King David to build the temple. So Solomon builds the temple, beautiful and ornate. And then around 586 BC, after, you know, after several generations of, there might have been some true worship, and then it starts to slide, and then all of a the sudden they, the, the temple finds themselves involved with hypocrisy. It's just like the relationship uh, we go through with God. You know, we we have something and God just draws us to our knees and our attention is focused on God. He's like, I have your undivided attention. And then all of a sudden when things start getting a little bit better, we start, yeah, yeah, I I think I got this. I'm good. Life is good. Our relationship with God's good. See Him on Sunday. Work's good. Family's good. Don't really have any complaints. And we start to fall into this, that we're lulled asleep basically. And that's what had happened with the Jewish people. And, and here's what God does. He raises up wicked people, the Babylonians. Scripture is very clear. that says he raised up the Babylonians to destroy the temple. So around 586 B.C., um, God destroys the temple through the Babylonians. They tear it up. Uh, then after that, the Persians rise up, and they let the, the Jews uh, rebuild the temple. That's where you get the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the wall. Um, and so then they, then they get the temple back. Um, About 168, 167 B.C., Alexander the Great takes over the known world. He has two generals. Alexander the Great dies about 33 years old. He has two generals that try to run the known world. Um, About this time, um, it is uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. There's a name for the birth certificate. Antiochus Epiphanes defiles the altar by sacrificing a pig on the altar of the temple to the god Zeus. Zeus. And so God says, all right, I've had enough. And so he, he raises up another power, another force that comes in to take over. It's Rome this time. Have you noticed that, that if, when God breaks us free, unless we stay focused on God, it's always something else? You know, w- you know it, it, it's one thing to another. Uh, it, it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm glad I don't struggle with this anymore, and the next thing we know we're inviting something else in. It, 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 there's going to be something all the time. That's why we have to focus on Jesus. We have to focus on God. We have to focus on this fact that we are the temple, that that through Christ's death, His atonement of sin, He has made us the temple. And just like these brick and mortar when the nation of Israel begin to walk away and, and isolate themselves from God. God destroys it. Let me, let me help you understand something. Remember, the context is still coming off of hypocrisy. And Jesus says, hypocrisy destroyed the temple. And if you you are now the temple, if you fake it, God will break it. God does not want to desire this. Uh, as a church, as, as the creek, as Marine Creek Church, if we get into this process of faking it with God... He says, I'll break it. I'll tear it down. And I'll be honest with you, I would much rather God tear this down than than for for us to fall into hypocrisy and end up destroying other people's lives. It is bad enough that we mess up our own, but let's not fall into this process. And so Jesus is going to give these signs. What Jesus is going to say is basically this, it's going to get really bad, but I'm still in control. As much as you see history and current events and how everything on this ball of mud looks like it's out of control? God says, "I got this." You know that that was fronted with me uh, front and center yesterday. You know I, I've been you know praying and 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 things things are kind of rolling good. You know we're making some big decisions as a church. We're we're making. I mean everything is growing and processing. And I'm seeing God's hands. And all of a sudden yesterday, uh, in one phone call, things spin out of control. And, and we find out Heather's father's in, in the hospital, in ICU, and, and we begin the, the process on our knees, praying, crying out to God for health, peace, comfort, healing, everything. And, and, and just God's peace just overwhelmed me. He said, as much as you have no control over this, I got this. And my trust in God exponentially increases because of his ability to get it. I mean, I've gone through things and and whined with God. I was like, God, do you not see what's going on? I mean, are you not understanding? Are you not hearing what I'm telling you? Uh, What, you know, and God says, thank you for sharing, but I got this. God's very blunt with me. I I, I told God, I said, God, I'm going to be very blunt with you. And God said, bring it on. I can handle it. And so when I get very blunt with God, he's very blunt with me. He has got this. And so I want us to go through this this chapter of Scripture. We're going to pull out some signs and discuss them. These are the signs Jesus is talking about. Like I said, we are not getting into a full end times prophecy here. We're looking at context and what's going on with Jesus. The first sign is a religious sign. In verse 4 and 5, he says this. Jesus says this. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So religious signs, verse 23 through 28. Let me read this to you. At the time, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. see, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there will be vol- the vultures will gather immediately after that distress of those days. And then he goes into a prophecy that's spoken of uh, in Isaiah. Let me, let me help you understand. In verse 11, he talks about false prophets. Think, think back even in our recent news. Think back even in our, our recent history, several years. How many false Christs have we seen? How many false prophecies have we, have we had to filter through the truth of Scripture? And he's saying these, these are religious signs. These are things that are coming. Here, here is another sign that he says in verse 14. He says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations when the end will come. So what you've got in a religious sign, you've got people claiming to be Jesus who are not. You've got people giving false prophecy of things that aren't going to happen. But here's what you have also. The gospel is being preached we have to see the signs and instead of us thinking, oh, the end's coming and get into this, this mode of, uh, of the end is near and not put a sandwich board sign on that says, repent, the end is near. When, it, when we start seeing these signs, it's a reminder for us to engage with the gospel. The gospel is not beating a Bible and thumping people in the head and saying, you sinner, get your life together. The gospel is at work. It's our lives being transformed by the good news of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice that allows us to be the temple, that allows us to have a relationship with God, that helps us to live in humility so we can live in humility to the world around us. So when we see these signs and these religious signs, we can say, I'm going straight to the heart of the gospel. The gospel's good news. It's not good advice. It is us, ours, to live by, to be transformed by. And it's not a religious set. In verse 15, this is what's spoken of uh, in Daniel. Uh, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on, on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. What he's saying here is, is when you see these signs, don't run and hide. One of the things that, that, that uh, I, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm sometimes. Um, and one of the things that, that I really enjoy making fun of, and I really wish I, I you know, it, it's, as much as a religious system is going to give me something to make fun of, I'm going to make fun of it. I'm sorry. But uh, it, the religious system is this, is, is we, uh, we interact with the gospel, man. Jesus transforms our life. We realize what we have been saved from, what we have been brought out of, what we have been delivered from. And then what we do is we find, I'm going to find me a good church, Good choice. And then I'm just going to sit on my behind until Jesus comes back. I'm going to run from the world because it's, it's crazy in there. And I'm going to sit. I'm going to lock myself in the, the safety of a church. And I'm going to just wait here till Jesus comes back. And then when things start getting bad in the church, then I'm running. I'm hitting the, I'm hitting the skids, baby. This abomination of the desolation is when they were coming into the temple... And they were beginning to defile the temple. See, according to the Pharisees, who were now what Jesus considered a wicked people that were running the temple, according to the Pharisees, even an unclean person defiled the temple. And so instead of uh, this, uh, this abomination of the people coming in the temple and the, the making this decision to run, Jesus saying, you lock in there. You get in here with me. And, and when you see the signs... Let it drive you farther into the gospel. And then there will be a time when all stuff breaks loose, and that's when I'll tell you that you need to run. That's when I'll tell you you need to to leave the temple. What happens is we we tend to over-spiritualize events and go running in all kinds of directions as Christians. And we give all of the late-night comedians great fodder for jokes. And and, And as Christians, we've got to move past that. I mean, when we see these signs, it drives us to the gospel. It allows us to be more humble. The signs don't say, hey, Jesus is coming back. The signs say, Jesus is coming back. You see, there's a difference on this. Jesus gives these signs not to tell us when, but to assure us that he is. And so we've got to get in and understand this. The second sign is political signs. Verse 6, I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There were some historians that that went through the last 2,000 years of history to find out uh, the difference between conflict versus peace. In the last 2,000 years of our recent history, there have been 30 years without a major war or major conflict. When you look at that, you kind of think, God, are you in control? I mean, you, you are the God of peace, but do you see that over 2,000 years, 30 years of peace? I mean, let's let's bring it a little bit more personal. What about like Iran and nuclear weapons and Iraq and Afghanistan? That's very personal. I mean, we, we had... David here last week, standing on this stage that we prayed for as he left on deployment for Afghanistan. God, do you got this? I mean, are you, are you in control? I mean, do, do you see the things that are going on in the world that are causing the war and the conflicts? And, and God says, I got this. That is, is a political sign that I'm, I am coming back. It's not a sign to tell you when I'm coming back, but I got this. As much as you think it's out of control, God says, I'm on the throne. I understand what everything is all about, and I see things from a different perspective. In verse 9 and 10, this is, where, this is where my faith struggles. And he talks about this, being persecuted. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. The persecution thing, we don't really deal with it here in America. Uh, honestly, the persecution we face in America as Americans and, and Christians is more what we manufacture by being loudmouth religious jerks. And so then people don't like us because we, we tend to soapbox and, and we get into these big political discussions and drag Jesus into it. Well, well I'm just a, a loudmouth Democrat. I'm a loudmouth Republican. Here's the common ground you're a loudmouth. And, and you're bringing that on yourself. Jesus doesn't take sides. He takes over. But this is, Jesus is saying this is real persecution. This is hardcore persecution. This is people hating you because you are transformed by the gospel. This is people hating you and desiring to put you to death because you are truly speaking the truth. This is persecution that we have not known. Think about his audience, the disciples hearing this. How many of the disciples were martyred for their faith? who were cut in two, who were boiled, who were, who were crucified, crucified upside down, who were exiled to islands to die because they spoke the truth. I mean, when they're going through persecution, it's not Jesus is coming back now. It's I can have rest and peace in the gospel because I know Jesus has this. This is uh, in, in verse 29 is where, where Jesus talks about uh, the prophecy. He says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is apocalyptic language. Uh, this, is, this is language uh, speaking of, of other events. I mean, think about it. A star falling to earth. I mean, we, we call them meteor showers and we say shooting stars. Most of the stars if they are, are millions of times larger than the earth itself. He's not talking physically in areas of astronomy. It's like it, the stars are going to crash down and that's going to destroy the world. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people who sit in compounds with you know years of food supply in their basement and, and come out and say, this is what's going to happen. Here's the end time prophecy. Let them argue with that. Let's look at the truth of scripture. This is taken out of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah uh, is an interesting book, um, and this is a political sign because whenever a new leader came into power, they would look to the stars. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was born, how did the wise men find him? The stars led them. They looked to the stars. They saw something different. And so the, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of weight put on what's going on in, in the, the heavenlies, is what they called it, so that they could be pointed to the signs happening. And what he's talking about is there's going to be political unrest. There's going to be governments that that crumble, that that are crushed and fall. Isaiah, when when the book of Isaiah was written, um, he looked to King Uzziah as the one that was going to fix everything. Uh, He looked at King Uzziah as kind of like the savior for Israel. And when Uzziah died, Isaiah is really pouting with God. He's having one of those moments like me. God, do you see this? Do you not understand what's going on? And Isaiah has an amazing experience in the temple. He says that in Isaiah 6, he says, the train of his temple uh, robe filled the temple. There was smoke. There's six-winged creatures flying around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah said, I shouldn't be in here. And he says, I am a wicked man. I'm a wicked person. And the angel touches the coal to his lips and says, you're cleaned. And he looks up, and who does he see seated on the throne? He sees God seated on the throne, not King Uzziah, not for our context where we put political figureheads on the throne of of they're going to save the nation or they're going to save the world. They're going to fix this. You know, the next president may do an amazing job at fixing the economy and the job structure and and the difference between war and peace in the world, And they may absolutely fail, but they are not the Savior. Whether they do a good job or a terrible job, God is still on the throne. And the political unrest that we want to get into, I mean, think about it. How many people have been the Antichrist? Obama's been the Antichrist. George Bush has been the Antichrist. Um, uh, Oprah has been the Antichrist. Bono's been the Antichrist. You name it. You name it. Any celebrity is on that list of being the Antichrist. Oh, they just got into power. Oh, Lord, here it is. Okay, political sign. Running and hiding. Okay, I'm not going to be, oh, Lord, here it is. I'm going to be like, that's a sign. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when, but that's part of the signs that Jesus spoke of. How about this? How about instead of us looking around to find out who the Antichrist is, Why don't we fix our eyes on Jesus, the Christ? Because then when we are facing and following the original, we can spot a a fake anytime. Knowing who the Antichrist is isn't going to help anything. Knowing who the Christ is is going to help everything. And so as we see political unrest, man, let's understand this. God is still on the throne. People will not save you. Only God, who is on the throne, will save us. The third sign is natural signs. Um, This is in 7b, and I know I'm jumping around. Normally, we go verse by verse, but I'm I'm trying to give you an overview of these signs and what Jesus is pointing to, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to dive down into some more things that Jesus is teaching about the end of days, but 7B is what, 7A, 7B, there's two sentences in the verse 7. I'm going to teach you a little bit about Bible study. Um, If you go to verse 7, A would be nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, period. Um, Then B would be there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are beginning of birth pains. Um, When scripture was originally written, God did not give this to Matthew to say verse 7, verse 8. Um, Scholars went back and put that in for ease of study and reference. So he's talking about uh, natural signs, uh, earthquakes and famines. Uh, there was a man born in the 30s, not 1930s, but <laughs> the original 30s. Um, his name was Josephus. <laughs> Josephus, not Bo-Cephas, Josephus. Um, and you can go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and you can pick up Josephus' history uh, of Jewish history. Josephus was a Jew, did not believe in Jesus. Um, But I still think, though, Josephus uh, and Bocephus could both skin a buck and run a trot line, and I bet either one of them could plow a field all day long. There's that mind spinning. Heather's going to get on to me. Um, (laughs) Josephus did not believe in Jesus, but what he started doing is is chronicling the accounts of the day, Uh, writing a historical account. Eerily, when you read Josephus' history, it matches with Matthew 24. Um, the famines and earthquakes, when he go- goes into the famine section, um, in around AD 66, AD 67, the temple was destroyed in 70. AD 66 or 67, the Jews revolt against Rome. They rise up and say, no we are not going to be under your oppression or your rule anymore. Rome was a superpower of, of military might. And they had strategies for how to get people to yield to their ways. What they did is they surrounded Jerusalem. And in a a tactic that they used often, they sealed off the city. And they cut all supply lines and said, Okay, if you are no longer under our protection, you don't eat. And the famine, Josephus recorded, got so bad that mothers were eating their children to stay alive. Now tell me, we have never experienced hunger that way. And you think about those signs and Jesus giving these signs and the Jews of the day seeing what is going on and the unrest that that would cause. And he's saying, there's going to be famine like you have never seen. These are the beginning of the birth pains. But these don't point to when I'm coming back. They tell you that I got this, I'm in control, I am coming back. Yes, I am a God of peace and love, but I'm also a God of justice and mercy. And so when we see these sons, yet there are things that that probably suffering on the levels that we cannot imagine that that they faced. And and when we uh when we don't get the promotion or we don't get um the raise like we were hoping to get, or or things just don't go our way, um, we tend to panic and pout. And God, do you do you see this injustice to me? I mean, my kingdom is at stake here. And God says, I'm more concerned about my kingdom than yours, but I got this. These signs, and I don't say that and give that famine account to scare you. These signs should not make us afraid. These signs should point us to Jesus and help us to be humble so that we can uh, trust Jesus more so that we can communicate these things are going on to show us that that we have a Messiah and that he is coming back. In verse 36 through 51, um, Jesus goes into the question that was primary to the disciples, when will this happen? Our whole question and concern is, when will this happen? And Jesus says, no man knows the day. Jesus says this, I don't even know. It's up to my Father. And we think we can go through the Bible and and find mathematical equations and look at prophecies and go, well, the week of Daniel is actually a year, which is actually this many years. And so when you look at a day of Daniel, that's this many days, this many years. So a week is seven years times... We try to get ourselves so confused mathematically that we can figure out when God is coming back. You know what? If I were God and somebody guessed the date, you know what I would do? I'm changing the date. I did that with my kids. Like, are we gonna, we're, I know what's going to go on. Oh, no, you don't, because it's a moving target. And, and I think it is a moving target. <laughs> I don't think God's just playing games with us. God's like, hmm, any, many, mighty, mo. No, I, I think it's a moving target, because do you know what Scripture is clear about? That, that Jesus will not come back for his bride until something happens. And that is all the people have been approached and confronted with the gospel. Not in a battle way, okay? Not in a, you need Jesus, you're a sinner and he died for you. Um, That's not communicating the gospel. Remember, that's the, let me invite persecution because of me, not because of Jesus. He says that's when Jesus will come back. No man knows the day or the hour. I'm not going to read all of 36 through 51. That's part of your extra reading for this week. And we're going to dive into what he's really getting into and what that means. But he says nobody knows. And and when we get into a a situation of letting these signs freak us out, of us becoming uh, really kind of religious fanatics, we tend to look at Jesus in a different way. You see, through his sacrifice, through the cross, what the gospel really is, we look at Jesus as our Savior. But I think when we become fanatical about the signs and, and become uh, scared about it, when we bury our heads in the sand as a church and we refuse to engage with the world around us with the gospel... Um, I think we're afraid because we're looking at Jesus as a coming judge. Now, what's the difference there? I mean, it, it's this. It's, it's have we put our faith and our, our hope and our life in the truth of Jesus and who Jesus really is. If we haven't, then, yeah, we're going to see a coming judge. But I can only tell you through my life being transformed by Jesus that, that I look at him as a coming Savior and that he is coming... To my rescue, not as one coming home to bust me for all of the things. And so, I want to live according to, to that. Let me give you a few take home things, and then we'll, we'll we'll finish this up. I know it's been a heavy week, a kind of a lot of head stuff. Um, so, why does Jesus go into all this um, in this context? Why does He go into these signs of the end of the age? You know, because He's going to give John all of the information in Reve- Revelation. So why does Jesus go into this here and now? I, I think, again, context coming off of hypocrisy, these are our takeaways. Um, we understand what's going on to the people on um, this conversation that Jesus is having on the Mount of Olives uh, with his disciples and talking about... You know, there's going to be religious unrest and religious signs pointing to me. You're going to be persecuted because of me. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. It's going to get really, really bad, but I'm in control. And so the disciples are sitting there thinking, all right, for us, what do we take away from this? We take away what what really destroys the temple, and that's hypocrisy. So our challenge is let go of our hypocrisy. I know I've said that uh, so many times over the last couple weeks, but we cannot hang on to that. I mean, the temple was destroyed by hypocrisy. Here's the thing: as we see the signs, we can tend to think that we're super religious or super spiritual because we're recognizing the signs. You know, quit over spiritualizing every news story you hear and read. If only if you're going to do this, if you're going to go spiritual on every news story that you hear and read, do it this way. That's another sign that Jesus is coming back and let it humble us. not let us go. Well Jesus is coming back. I told you, see the world is just you know, this is getting terrible. You know what? Let it humble you to speak and preach the gospel. The second thing is hold on to Jesus. In Hebrews 10, it teaches us that Jesus is that once for- all sacrifice. There is no need for the, the blood of animals anymore. Um, Within a generation of Jesus making these words, in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. They used the temple because they were running short on supplies to build a little venue that they were doing in Rome called the Colosseum. And so we have to understand that the the, the system of religious sacrifice, Jesus wasn't just changing history uh, of, of the temple And of the physical history, he was changing spiritual history. He's like, there's not going to be any need for the temple because there's no need for the sacrifice anymore. I am it once and for all. Even people who didn't believe in Jesus in the Jewish system uh, quit sacrificing. And so we have to hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone. No other claim to any other messiahs. You know what was destroyed when the temple was destroyed is all the records of genealogy. The Messiah, according to Scripture, has to prove that they come from the tribe of Judah. They kept meticulous records on genealogy in the temple. When it was destroyed, the genealogy was destroyed. Jesus is saying any other claim of Messiah is false. It's me. I am it. I am he. And so hold on to Jesus. The interesting thing about the book of Matthew is it starts with a genealogy showing where Jesus came from. And then the third one is take the gospel to the world. Scatter the gospel. Think about the pressures that that a lot of these things in in the world are going to create. Think about it like this. Think about the church as um, uh, a piggy bank. And what has to happen to get the money out of that piggy bank? It has to break. So when Jesus destroys the temple, he's breaking it and he's getting out. That money is more useful when it's put to work than sitting in a piggy bank instead of burying its head in the sand as a church and getting out and scattering the gospel. Yes, it's messy, but here's what happens. God gets out, and we begin to share the gospel. So these signs, I don't want us to walk out of here with any type of pride or swelled head going, I know when Jesus is coming back because look at this sign, this sign, this sign, this sign. Now let's walk out of here humbled by saying every sign that we see that is lines up according to Scripture is going to humble me because I know my Savior is coming back. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. Um, Jesus, thank you for these, these words. I know that for centuries uh, we have wrestled um, with the meaning of, of these words. And, and for centuries we've missed the point of, of Scripture. Um, to feed our own need to know, uh, to feed our desire uh, to be prideful so that we can show the world we're right. Father, forgive us for that. Help us to see the truth of what you're saying in, in your word. And the truth is, is you are coming back. You told us in in John 14 that, that you were going to prepare a place for us and in your Father's house were many rooms and if it were not so, you wouldn't have told us. So Jesus, you only speak the truth. And what you tell us according to Matthew 23 is that as out of control and as crazy as the things are around us, that you are on the throne And that you will be back. Father, thank you for desiring instead of inhabiting a temple of brick and mortar and stone. Thank you for inhabiting us. And God, I just want to pray for us right now and that any of us in here that, that are in a relationship with Jesus, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, uh, forgive us for the hypocrisy. Um, God, once again, um, humble us so that we do not destroy the work that you are building in us and through us. God, give us the humility to repent now so that you don't have to humble us and you destroy what you desired to do through us. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that that doesn't have a relationship with you, this whole message wasn't a scare tactic. It wasn't to scare them out of hell. This whole thing, this whole teaching is designed to speak the truth of who Jesus is, our Savior. And Father, if there's anyone who does not have a relationship with you, I pray that you reveal yourself and make yourself real to them. Give them the courage to to call out to you and say, "I, I am a sinful person. I'm not perfect. But Jesus, I desire to look to you as my Savior and not my judge. And I believe that that happened through the cross. Father, it's not the magic words of a prayer. It's a heart of repentance and you transforming their life. And I pray if that is anyone in this room that as they genuinely lay themselves down before you and say, I want you to be my Lord. Give them the courage, Father, to, to let us know so we can partner with them, help them. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for this holiday. Thank you for our independence. We got most of all thank you for our dependence on the one true God who amidst all the mess is still on the throne. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.